Well, good morning. Glad you all are here. I was very, very excited last night to see that the weather report had changed, which was uh, quite encouraging given that, today, given that today is supposed to be the first day of spring. And uh, earlier in the week, 8 to 12 inches of snow predicted, then 5 to 8, then 1 to 3, and now not a whole lot. So they're, gonna, they're calling for white rain is what they said was going to happen. <laughs> So, okay, fair enough, I like that. You know, as I was, as I was thinking about uh, this weekend, as I was looking over the songs that we were singing, you know, it really struck me. We do have a great God. We have a God who is capable of creating the entire universe out of absolutely nothing. We have a God who loves us enough that he sent his son to die on a cross to rise again so that our broken relationship with him could be restored. And that's an amazing God. And that's why, uh, as part of the reason why we celebrate Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday was the day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, kind of like a, a triumphant king coming back from a great victory. And he's entering into the capital city and the crowds are praising him. They're, they're laying these palm branches on the ground so that even the donkey's feet would be kind of like on a, on a red carpet as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And they're praising him and they're glorifying him. And they're saying, how great is our God? But then by Good Friday, they're ready to crucify him. You know, and, and if you stop and think about it, that's sometimes true in our lives as well. There are days when we want to say, how great is our God? He's so amazing. He's so wonderful. He's so powerful. He's so awesome. And then there are other days when we're like, I'm not so sure about this whole thing. I don't know what he's doing. Why is it that and whatever is going on in your life? And you begin to ask these questions and you begin to wonder why. And as I, as I was thinking about that this morning or, or this week in preparation for this morning, I decided that I want us to look at a passage where at the beginning of the passage in Scripture, it's a narrative that the Apostle John wrote, one of Jesus' followers, wrote about something that happened in the life of Jesus and the life of some of his friends. The beginning of that passage and really throughout most of it, the people around Jesus are not so sure about what he's doing. They've got some questions. They know he's a good guy. They like him, but they're beginning to wonder what in the world is he doing? So let's take a look here at John chapter 11, and I'm going to stop from time to time, as you can tell, and uh, I'm going to drink a little water. You are more than welcome to do the same. It will make my voice feel a lot better if you do that. So seriously, and actually it fits very well. I felt this way uh, during this week. Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and uh, that's how I was feeling earlier this week. Lazarus was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now let me just stop there for a second. What I'm going to do as we read through this passage, I'm going to point out some things that in a sense, are obvious. Lord, the one you love is sick. They're obviously appealing to Jesus based on his relationship with, La with Lazarus. The issue here is John is setting up some things that are going to be happening later on in the passage. So when he reminds us that Mary and Martha said, Lord, the one you love is sick, 
they want us, the readers, John wants us as the readers to recognize the obvious, that they are appealing to Jesus to come and heal their brother based on the fact that Jesus loves Lazarus. Obvious statement, but wait for just a couple of minutes and we're going to see some interesting things that are happening here. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, last week, Pastor Peter Pendel was here. He's one of our, our favorite guest speakers. And he was here and he talked some about the glory of God. And he said that, <coughs> excuse me, God's first and highest priority is for his own glory. It's to show how great our God is. And, and we sometimes have a little bit of a problem with that, as Peter mentioned last week. We have a little problem with that because it seems like God is putting the focus on himself and it sounds to be a little bit self-centered. And from one perspective it is, but as Peter pointed out to us, if God is, and in fact he is the greatest being in the universe, then there's nothing wrong with God pointing out his own glory and his own greatness. But psychologically, we don't always like that. So we've got this set up here. Lord, the one whom you love is sick. Come and heal him. And Jesus says, mm, the sickness isn't going to end in death. The whole point of this thing is going to be for the glory of God. So we've got this and wondering what's going on here. Lazarus is sick. God's going to be glorified. How's this whole thing going to work out here? Now, verse 5. Jesus loved Martha. He loved her sister. He loved Lazarus. So... When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. They were across the Jordan River. And Jesus is saying, let's go back to Judea, which is near where Jerusalem is. Bethany was a couple of miles outside the capital city of Jerusalem. But watch what's going on here. Jesus loved Mary. Jesus loved Martha. Jesus loved Lazarus. So... He stayed where he was a couple more days. No, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, so he got an Uber as quick as he could, and he went down to uh, Bethany to heal Lazarus. No, what in the world, if Jesus actually loves Lazarus, why in the world does Jesus stay two more days? Jesus went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. Interesting here. From Jesus' perspective, from God's perspective, Jesus is beginning a setup here. Death to Jesus is not anything different than natural sleep. He can wake him up from sleep. He can wake him up from death. Jesus is beginning to set up what he's going to do here. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Again, Jesus says, I'm glad he wasn't there. Why in the world would Jesus say, I'm glad that I wasn't there when Lazarus is sick? Because the implication is going to be that if Jesus delays much longer, Lazarus is going to die. How can Jesus be glad that he's not there when his friend is sick. Jesus is saying to them, I'm glad I was not there because 
what's going to happen is going to lead to you believing that I am who I say I am and I can do what I've promised that I'm able to do. So he's setting up this tension here between Lazarus's need, the glory of God, and the disciples, Jesus' followers, believing in him. And so we're asking these questions here, and, and you, you've got this situation. Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, and he says, God is going to be glorified through it. How can God be glorified through somebody's illness? It doesn't seem to make sense to us. Jesus loves Lazarus and his sisters, so he waits until Lazarus is dead before he goes to them. Why in the world would Jesus want to do that? Jesus tells his disciples he's glad he wasn't there so that they would believe. Believe what? Believe that loving Lazarus means letting him die? I mean, these are questions that especially if, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if this whole Christianity thing is new to you, these are the questions that you're probably asking. In fact, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're probably asking questions like that. These are legitimate questions for us to ask. One of the things I love about being here at Renaissance is we don't hesitate to ask the obvious questions. There were times when I was younger in my faith that I was afraid to ask questions like that. Like, God, if you really love Lazarus, why would you let him die? How can you be glorified in somebody's sickness? These are legitimate questions, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with asking those kinds of questions as long as we do it with respect. It's not shaking our fist at God and saying, God, who are you that you would do this? It's saying, God, I don't get it. Why are you doing this? Help me to understand. Because from my perspective, this doesn't make any sense at all. From the perspective of the people in the narrative, it made absolutely no sense. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. You are so kind. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus had, uh, I'm sorry, Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. John's point is Lazarus is good and dead by this time. There's no question in anybody's mind that Lazarus is dead by the time that Jesus has gotten there. And Jesus has taken his sweet time getting there. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Martha's asking the question. She's making the statement that we would all make if we were there. Lord, what took you so long? Why did you wait? If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I still respect you. I still trust you. And I know that if you ask, God will do a miracle. So she's upset. She's honest. She's questioning Jesus here, but she's doing it with respect. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day, meaning sometime in the future, I know that the day is coming. This was a belief that the Jews had. Day is coming when the dead who are trusting in God 
are going to rise and they're going to get to be with God forever. And Martha's saying, I know that that's going to happen. Jesus says to her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? I mean, at one level, Jesus is talking about eternal life after death. He's talking about what Martha was thinking about at that time. He's saying that I am the one who is going to provide this eternal life after death for your brother. I'm the one who's going to provide this eternal life after death for you. I'm the one who's going to provide this eternal life after death for all who believe in me. And at one level, Jesus is talking about that. But if you read through the Gospel of John, if you read through this biography that John has written about Jesus, you see that this concept of eternal life isn't just something that happens kind of, you know, pie in the sky, by and by. It's something for here, for today, for right now. It's a relationship of knowing the God of the universe, of knowing our creator, of knowing our redeemer, of knowing our sustainer. It's a relationship that enables us to have an abundant life now, a life that transcends the challenges or the circumstances that we face on a day-to-day basis. It doesn't mean that the pain goes away. It doesn't mean that we don't hurt. It doesn't mean that there isn't suffering. It doesn't mean that loved ones don't die. But it means that God is with us. We have a relationship with him. And because of that, we can have a peace. We can have a hope. We can have, in a sense, a supernatural comfort that transcends the circumstances that we're in, a supernatural joy that in some sense we can't explain because our circumstances may be horrible, and yet we realize that we're loved by the God of the universe. We're loved by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is willing to sacrifice himself for us. Jesus is saying to Martha, I'm gonna provide that eternal life in the future, but also today, that kind of abundant life. And all you need to do, Martha, is believe that I'm the one who can provide that for you. Martha, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, Martha replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. A little while later, Martha's sister Mary arrives on the scene. Watch what happens. When Mary reaches the place where Jesus was, saw him, she fell at his feet and she said exactly the same thing that Martha did. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Same exact thing. Again, nothing wrong with asking those questions. What took you so long? Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Watch what happens. Here's a turning point in the narrative. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Jesus sees Mary crying. He sees her friends crying with her and he's deeply moved, John writes, and he's troubled in spirit. And at first glance, it seems that Jesus is upset 
along with Mary and Martha because their brother has died. Jesus is upset. He's sad in a sense because he's not gonna see Lazarus again. But the thing is, Jesus knows full well that he's gonna see Lazarus again. He knows that in just a few minutes, he's gonna raise Lazarus from the dead. So Jesus isn't as upset that Lazarus is dead and he's not gonna see him. What John is actually saying here is that Jesus is outraged at death. He's outraged at Lazarus' death in particular, but he's outraged at death in general. John uses a Greek word here, an unusual word that's used pretty much only in secular, secular literature, not in, in sacred, not in religious literature. It's used of horses snorting, kind of like that. Ugh. Jesus, like Jesus is saying, argh, I can't, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I didn't create a world with death. This is not what I intended. And so Jesus is actually outraged. He's angry. He's indignant at death. When Mary is suffering, when Martha is suffering, when we're suffering, Jesus looks at that and he says, no, that's not how I intended for it to be. Suffering was not what I wanted for this world. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He actually chooses to do something about it. The Jews didn't quite understand this at the time. They looked and they said, see, see how much he loved him. Sorry, I jumped, I, I skipped a, Skipped a couple of verses there. Jesus said to him, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, but one of the most comforting verses that there could be. Jesus is not weeping, as I mentioned, because he doesn't think he's ever gonna see Lazarus again. Jesus is weeping because his friends are weeping. Jesus is weeping because they're in pain. Jesus is crying because he's empathizing with them. He feels their pain. They're sad, so he's sad again because he loves them, because he cares about them, because they're living in a broken world that is not the way that he intended it to be. And so Jesus is feeling their pain, but he doesn't just simply say, I feel your pain, I'm sad for you. It overflows in his emotions and then he chooses to do something about it. The Jews say, see how he loved him. But some of them say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. Jesus had opened the eyes of a man who had been born blind. Nobody, nobody, had ever before made a blind man, a man who had been born blind, be able to see. And they're saying, if, if he could do that, couldn't he have taken care of Lazarus's sickness? And the answer is absolutely yes, he could have. So why didn't he do that? They're asking. Jesus, once more deeply moved, once more indignant at death, came to the tomb. Now the, the tomb was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, 
By this time, there's a bad odor. He's been there for four days. What are you doing? Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? Jesus is reminding them of what he had said just a few minutes ago. He's bringing them back to the glory of God and he's linking it. They're being able to see God's glory. He's linking it with their belief, with their faith, with their trust, with their recognition of who he is. Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen. There's a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Whenever you're reading through a story, whenever you're reading through a narrative in one of the gospels, in one of the biographies of Jesus, always look at the last line, always look at the last sentence because most of the time it tells you the whole point of the story. Why did all this happen? So that people would believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he could do what he said he would do. Because of what he did, all these people end up believing that he is the resurrection, that he's the life, that he's the one who provides for our deepest needs. So when we come back to that question, why did Jesus delay? Why did he wait when he heard that Lazarus was sick? I think there's several reasons. First, as I mentioned, many people believed when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You see, in those days, the Jews believed that when a person died, their spirit kind of hung around for up to three days, waiting to see if the body would revive, because if it did, then the spirit of the soul could go back into the body. But after three days, decay starts setting in, which was Martha's point about he's gonna smell by this point. It's been four days, Jesus, he's gonna smell. Jesus delayed so there would be no doubt that the man had absolutely died. And so that's part of the reason why Jesus delayed, because if he had gotten there any earlier, they might've thought mm, maybe Lazarus wasn't really dead. But by delaying, Jesus made sure that nobody could doubt that Lazarus had died and that Jesus had really raised him from the dead. So that's one of the reasons. Another reason is that Jesus is showing that there is something even better than physical healing. Now, for most of us, we would say, no, there's not much that's a whole lot better than physical healing. When I'm sick, all I want to do is get better. When a loved one is sick, even more so, I would so much personally, I would so much rather be sick myself than have my wife or one of my daughters be sick. We suffer even more when those whom we love are sick. And Jesus is saying, yes, as much as that suffering and as, as bad as that is, or as good as it is to heal someone from physical sickness, there's something even better than that. And so by waiting until Lazarus has died, Jesus showed that not only does he have the ability to heal someone from sickness, he has the ability to conquer death. Nobody, nobody except the God of the universe ultimately has that power. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. I am the life. I'm the one 
who provides life even after death. And then by waiting until after Lazarus had died, Jesus ultimately brought glory to God. He also, he didn't just bring glory to God, he did something good for Lazarus and his family. We think that there's this uh, tension, this contradiction, this conflict between God's glory and our good. And what Jesus is trying to show is no, there is no conflict between the glory of God and what's best for us. Jesus is saying the best thing for Lazarus, the best thing for Mary and Martha, the best thing for us is that we know who he is, what he offers, what he's done for us, and how we can have a relationship with God through him. Raising Lazarus from the dead wasn't some selfish way of making himself look good at, at the expense of Lazarus and his family. It's the best possible thing that he could do for them because they learned through this that Jesus loved them beyond a shadow of a doubt and that he shared their pain. They saw him weep. They learned that he hated death, not even just as much as they did, even more so. They were just sad. He was outraged at death. And they, did, they learned that he just didn't hate death, but that he actually could do something about it, that he actually would do something about it. And they learned that Jesus was the one who could provide them life. Lazarus, Mary, Martha, they all knew that they're gonna die someday. Even Lazarus would die again. But they also knew that when the day came that they were on their deathbed, they knew that, that the day, when the day came that they were gonna die, Jesus could and would ultimately raise them from the dead, not to return to this world, but to go to a, a world where there's no more sickness, there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow, there's no more crying, there's no more death, there's no more separation between themselves and their creator. There's no more tension in their relationships with one another. A world that's the way that God created it to be, a world that's the way that God intended it for, him, for it to be, a world in which his glory is seen, is manifested, is celebrated, and a world in which his glory is the greatest good that we could ever experience. And I'm confident that if we could ask Lazarus and Martha and Mary if they're glad that Jesus waited, that Jesus stayed for an extra couple of days, that Jesus actually let Lazarus die. If we could ask them today, I think they'd say, absolutely. Absolutely. At the time, I didn't think so. But now, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that was absolutely the best thing that Jesus could do for us. Why? Because God has so much bigger of a perspective than we have. He is so much greater. He is so much more glorious. He knows so much more than we do. And Mary 
and Martha and Lazarus know that. And as a result, I'm confident that they would say, absolutely, we're glad that Jesus did that because we got to see the glory of God, the greatness of God, the awesome power in a way that we never would have seen before. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Two, three months later, Jesus is hanging on a Roman cross and he's dying. And he feels that same kind of anguish that Mary and Martha felt as their brother was dying. And on Good Friday, Matthew writes, he says, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In some sense, Jesus knew the answer, but he's feeling the pain of being abandoned by his heavenly father. He's feeling an anguish that in some sense is deeper than any of us could ever feel. So when we ask the question, does Jesus understand what it's like to suffer? Yeah. Does Jesus understand what it's like to feel alone? Absolutely. Does Jesus understand what it's like to face sickness and to face death? Unquestionably. My God, my God, he says, why have you forsaken me? And a few minutes later, he was dead. And from a human perspective, that's it. He's in the grave. He's dead. But three days later, on Easter Sunday, Jesus rises from the dead, fulfilling the promise that he made. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And if you believe in me, Jesus said, you'll live like I do even though you die. And he asked the question, do you believe this? And that's the question all of us need to ask ourselves. Do I believe? Do I believe that Jesus loved me enough to enter into our world, to be born as a baby, to live a full human life, the full spectrum of what it's like to live a human life, to suffer the way that we as human beings suffer. Jesus got head colds. He got respiratory illnesses. He had the stomach flu, I would expect, at some point during his life. Do I believe that he did all that, that he died an incredibly painful death, and he did all that for me? Do I believe not only that, do I also believe that Jesus rose from the dead to give me new life? If you're not sure that you believe, if you say, no, I don't think I do believe, or I'm sure that I don't believe, let me encourage you, take some time, think through that, pray through that, and, and ask God and say, help me to believe. Help me to work through this. I'd encourage you to talk to me, talk to Michael, talk to a friend who brought, brought you here. We'd love to talk to you more about this. I have no illusions 
that after hearing one message about Jesus' death and resurrection that folks are necessarily gonna believe, but maybe you will. And I hope and pray that you will. And if you do believe, if you do believe, then praise him, thank him, sing how great is our God. I mean, imagine, is there anything better than realizing that we can have our relationship with the God of the universe through his son, who loved us enough to sacrifice himself, who is so awesome and great and glorious enough that he was willing to do that for us, not selfishly, but self-sacrificially in order to restore us to the life that he intended for us. So if you're one who does believe, then thank him and praise him. And think of somebody you know, Think of somebody you know who needs to believe. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member. And let me encourage you, every day this week, between now and Easter Sunday, take some time and pray for that person. Pray for them that they would encounter Jesus. Pray for them that they would come to the point where they would say with you, where they would say with Martha, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the Savior. I believe that you are the resurrection and the life. And I want that life that you offer. Pray for them. And if the opportunity arises, invite them to join you to come back on Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ that provides for us new life. We have a God who is so great, who loves us so much that he was willing to give his life for us. We have a God who is so glorious, so powerful, so amazing that he was able to rise from the dead. And that, that's why this Friday, we're looking forward to Good Friday, celebrating his sacrifice for us. And this Sunday, week from today, we're looking forward to Easter Sunday, celebrating his resurrection, which provides for us that new life with him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you delayed. It's, it's, in a sense, it's hard to say that, but I thank you that you delayed because we got to see your glory in a way that we would never see it. I thank you that you raised Lazarus from the dead to help us to believe that you are the resurrection and the life. But I thank you even more than that, that just a couple months later, you died for me, you died for us. I thank you that you rose from the dead so that we could have new life. And I pray that you would strengthen our faith. Those of us who, who do believe, strengthen our faith, strengthen our desire to share that good news with the people around us. Those of us who don't believe, give us that faith. Remove the obstacles that are keeping us from trusting that you are who you say you are, that you've done what you've said you've done, what you said you would do. And I pray that you would work in us that we might together praise you, honor you, glorify you, and magnify your name as we celebrate the incredible love that you have for us. And we pray all these things, Jesus, in your name, amen. I am so glad that you guys were here this morning. If you've got a couple minutes and you wanna come up and say hi, 
Love to chat with you. I hope you have a wonderful week.